This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Philippians chapter 1, this morning we'll begin in verse 12 and read down through verse 18. This is a God-inspired letter written under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit by the first century man, Paul. And he wrote it to a church that probably looked quite a lot different than this one looks this morning. And yet the people were just like us. People very much in need of God's grace. People very much in need of the Savior Jesus. People very much in need of encouragement from the Holy Spirit. And so I'm certain that as this letter surely must have encouraged those first century Christians in Philippi, God has lots of good stuff in here for us this morning as well. So please do follow along in your Bibles as I read Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, Preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word and his blessing in our study of it as well. So what happened to Paul? What happened? In verse 12, he wants to talk about What happened to me? We forget, I think, as we read through a wonderful little letter like this, this letter that we call Philippians, that the God-inspired human author of this letter is in prison. He, He is writing to us under arrest and in prison. He's probably been in this situation for about three years by the time he writes this letter. let, Let that sink in for just a minute. It's a pretty long time. He was arrested in Jerusalem by the Romans. And then he has been moving his way through the Roman court system. First to Caesarea 
where he remained a prisoner for two years. Then he traveled as a prisoner by sea all the way to the city of Rome, where he is now under house arrest, still imprisoned. Months and months and even three, maybe four years have gone by and he's imprisoned. Now he's under house arrest. It doesn't sound too bad until you realize that he's probably chained full time to some other dude at the risk, at the risk by, by a chain. It could not have been that pleasant of an experience. And yet, though he writes from prison, he says in verse 18, we just read it, I rejoice. And I think he anticipates that we're not going to understand that. And we're going to be like, what did you say? So he says it again, yes, I will rejoice, just so we get the message. And we would wonder, how is it that this man who has suffered such inconvenience, to say the least, for so long can declare to us that he is rejoicing in these circumstances? And the answer, according to this text, is this is a man who is on a mission. He is on a mission that supersedes his circumstances. His mission is to advance the gospel. He says it in verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, the gospel, of course, is the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news that although we are sinners, Jesus came into the world to die as a sacrifice for our sins. And if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're saved forever. We're in a right relationship with God forever. Heaven is our inheritance. That's the good news. That and all the biblical material that goes along with it. And Paul wants to tell the world about this good news. That's his mission. He sees it as greater than his circumstances. And it ought to be for all of us who belong to Jesus Christ like Paul did and like the Philippian Christians did, it ought to be our mission as well. Our mission is to advance the gospel. And we see in these verses that we read some ways that we can advance the gospel. We see that we can advance the gospel by trusting God in hard times. We can advance the gospel when we are motivated to serve others in love and when we proclaim Jesus Christ with boldness. Those are our three points this morning. The main point, of course, is our mission is to advance the gospel. First of all, we advance the gospel by trusting God in hard times. Paul is in prison, as we've said, and he is right where his enemies wanted him to be. He is right where the enemies of the gospel wanted him to be. They were sure that if they could sideline Paul and they could get Paul imprisoned, then that would limit his ability to share Christ. 
But we discover in this little letter and all over the New Testament that they were very wrong. Paul has a completely different perspective of what is going on. He feels that he is placed in this difficult circumstance so that he can serve the Lord. He says at the end of verse 16, I am put here, that is in prison, for the defense of the gospel. When he says he was put there, he's not even imagining that he was put there by the enemies of the cross or by his own enemies. He believes he is put there by God. It was appointed for him to be there in this prison so that he could share the gospel. And as he writes to this Philippian church, I bet that they were not surprised by this situation. I think it was not a surprise for them. Sinclair Ferguson writes, Was there one particular family whose faces broke into smiles when this part of the letter was read in the church meeting? The Philippians of all people knew that God did unexpected things in prisons. The, the, the jailer who arrested Paul and Silas and held them in his own jail was the witness of a great miracle, a great earthquake. And as a result, he and his whole family were saved. They knew that gospel ministry could happen in prison. They knew that when a Christian such as Paul places his life at the disposal of Christ, no circumstance can ever prove to be a final barrier to the advance of the gospel. God's servants may be imprisoned, but the word of God can never be chained. So Paul trusts God to use him in jail and he trusts God because he knows that God works all things together for good. And there is evidence of God doing that in these verses that we read. For one thing, Paul's imprisonment was not just an opportunity for him, but it led to a multiplication of gospel ministry. Verse 14, most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word, that's the word of God, without fear. So there were Christian people who, seeing that Paul is in prison, and that in prison his soul is thriving, and he is rejoicing, and he is sharing the gospel, then they are encouraged to do likewise and to share the gospel. In fact, even some of Paul's enemies are preaching the good news. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But clearly, there is not less gospel ministry going on because Paul is in prison. There is more, a multiplication of preaching the good news of Christ. But Paul's imprisonment also led to a very strategic ministry. He says in verse 13 that he's able to witness to the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. 
So Paul the pastor was a missionary and church planter in the far-flung regions of the Roman Empire. He preached the good news of Christ in Palestine and in Galatia and in Macedonia. And he started these little churches in these cities. But Paul the prisoner is under house arrest and he is very near to the seat of power in the Roman Empire. This imperial guard is part of Caesar's own personal contingents of guards that guarded the palace. And he has an opportunity because of where he is to represent Jesus Christ with all of these important personages around. D.A. Carson writes about Paul's behavior under house arrest in the city of Rome. Instead of protesting his innocence... Or gauging his chances of impressing Caesar's court, Paul spent his time talking about a Jew called Jesus who had been crucified at the eastern end of the Mediterranean and had somehow risen from the dead. And according to this prisoner, not only will this Jesus be our judge on the last day, but the only hope anyone has of being accepted by God is by trusting this Jesus. In short, Paul was proving to be such an extraordinary prisoner that stories about him began to circulate around the palace. And not only stories about him, but the gospel story as well. Paul, the apostle, suffered well. He suffered well because he trusted God. He knew that God worked all things together for good. He knew his Bible. He knew the stories of the Old Testament. He knew about Joseph who had also been a prisoner after being so terribly mistreated by his brothers. And then later he can say to them, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many lives. Likewise, Friends, we can rejoice in difficulty. We can continue to advance the gospel because God is always working for good. How wonderful it is that Paul trusted God and therefore represented him so well. One of my favorite missionaries... You read missionary biography as John Patton. Patton served as a missionary on a little island called Tanah in the New Hebrides. His experience there was brutal to say the least. In the first year he was there, his young wife and baby died. He dug their graves with his own hands. He was often sick while he was there on this island. He was alone. He was the only English speaker, the only European there. The, the people around him who he tried to, to serve and help, they, they disliked him. Some even threatened his life. He had a very difficult time. And after four very frustrating and painful and apparently fruitless years, he had to literally flee for his life and get away from this island and the people on this island. And, and yet he wrote a little book about his experiences and he published this little book. And surprisingly, the details of the terrible time that he had 
somehow encouraged a lot of people to become involved in the task of world evangelization and to serve as missionaries. And later, Patton wrote, Oftentimes, while passing through the perils and the defeats of my first four years on the mission field, I wondered why did God permit such things? But on looking back, I now clearly perceive that the Lord was preparing me for the work that I'm doing now, the best work of my life, being the instrument by which God is sending out missionary after missionary to claim one island and yet another island for the glory of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that work, Patton said, and all that springs from it from time and eternity grow, and it never could have been accomplished except for my first sufferings on those four years in the island of Tanah. We have, I think, in our comfortable times, and we do live in very comfortable times, we, we have this strange notion that for effective Christian ministry to take place, things need to be going well. But church history... And the history of the church in the pages of the Bible tell us a very different story. You know, the plans and purposes of God are not foiled by hard times. God does not fold under the pressure of his and our enemies. In fact, God uses the suffering of his people as an opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just think about all of the opportunities that Christian people have to represent their Savior Jesus well in doctor's offices and hospitals and funeral homes and at accidents along the side of the highway. And even in so-called closed countries where you're supposedly not allowed to share the gospel, even there the gospel advances. So we can always trust God to advance the gospel even in difficult circumstances. We also advance the gospel when we are motivated to serve others in love. So here's Paul. He's in prison and still he is focused on serving Christ. As we've said, he makes it very plain. The end of verse 13, he says, My imprisonment is for Christ. It's for Christ. Now, he's not merely making the best of a bad situation. He is in a situation that, that, that he entered into very intentionally with eyes wide open. We, we read about it in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 21. There we see Paul and his missionary team, they're staying with friends in the city of Caesarea. And in verse 10 of Acts 21, we read this, this little, little story. While we were staying for many days, 
a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, that is Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why, what, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul, who is a man like us, is so in love with his Savior Jesus and so determined to remain on mission to advance the good news of his Savior Jesus. He is not heartbroken at the prospect of being imprisoned. He is not weeping at, at the thought of maybe losing his life. He is heartbroken and weeping because his friends are trying to discourage him from going to jail, from being arrested. Why? Because he wants to go there for Christ. He, he believes that Christ is calling him to represent the gospel in these situations. So he chose this situation. He chose to face prison and death so he could serve his Lord Jesus whom he loved. He is in prison as chapter 1 back in Philippians 1 verse 13 says. He is in prison for Christ. But he's also there to serve others. He, he is wanting to serve these Philippian Christians. He's writing to encourage them. We, we've seen that the past couple of weeks. Jake talked about how Paul was thanking God for the Philippian church. And Bill spoke last week about, and, and then again today even, about how Paul is praying for the Philippian Christians. And now Paul's writing to them and he wants to address this situation of, of his being in prison. He's doing it for them. In fact, I think he wouldn't even bring the whole prison thing up at all, except he wants to serve them. And they're worried about him being in prison. So he's talking about it. Otherwise, I'm fairly convinced he wouldn't even mention it. It is not an issue to him. But he writes to them and he wants them to understand that his imprisonment is being used for good. His, his imprisonment is giving him an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. He's serving the Philippian church. He's serving the very people who have him locked up. And in doing this, he sets an example for others. And as we read, there were those who were also sharing the gospel more because he was in prison. They, they did it out of goodwill, the end of Verse 15, they did it because they loved God and they loved others. The beginning of verse 16. But strangely and sadly, there were others who were preaching the gospel. Not to serve Christ, not to serve others, but to serve themselves. Verse 15, the beginning of the verse 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. In his Bible paraphrase, Eugene Peterson says it like this. Now that Paul was out of the picture, they, these selfish teachers, hoped they could get something for themselves. Their motives were bad, and they saw this, they saw him as their competition. And so the worse it went for him, the better they thought for them. That, among Christian people, or among at least so-called Christian people, is some truly ugly behavior. Now, the, the message that they were sharing must have been an accurate message. We might say it was scripturally or theologically correct. Because if it wasn't, I don't believe Paul would rejoice in it. Because elsewhere in the New Testament, he strongly denounces false gospels or anything that sounds like a false gospel. So the message they were sharing was correct. And so Paul says, I rejoice that the message of the gospel is getting out there. But let's not make the mistake of thinking that Paul, or more importantly, God's Holy Spirit, is at all okay with these wicked motives. He's not okay with it, and he calls them out on it. He says they're doing this from envy and rivalry. They're doing this out of selfish ambition. The, the text, it doesn't give us all the information we want. We don't know whether these people are Christians who are just, just having a bad time. And so they're, they're, they're doing these awful sins. We, we don't know that. But I, whether they're Christians or not, I, I rather suspect if they remain in this kind of envy and rivalry and they continue to do ministry out of selfish ambition, then they aren't saved motives matter motives matter and the scripture wants us to be aware of this we we ought to be motivated by love love for christ love for others goodwill towards other people because that that gives us empowerment with the help of the holy spirit to share the gospel because we love our Savior. It helps us serve others who, who can sometimes be difficult to, to serve because we love them and we want to advance the gospel. There's a fable about the Roman Emperor Cyrus. Apparently he had captured a prince and this prince's entire family and when the prince and his family came before the emperor for judgment, the emperor asked him a series of questions. He said to the prince, what will you give me in exchange for your life? To which the prince answered, I will give you half of all my goods. And then the emperor asked him, well, what will you give me in exchange for your children? To which he said, I will give you everything that I have. And then the emperor asked the prince, what will you give me in exchange for your wife? And the prince answered, I will give you 
myself. Well, reportedly, Cyrus was so moved by the devotion of this husband that he freed them all. And as they traveled back to their home, they were recounting everything that had happened to one another. And in the conversation, the prince said to his wife, Wasn't the emperor Cyrus a handsome man? To which she replied, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. There are people who can talk about Christ clearly. And they can talk about the scripture and they've got a lot of books and so on. And they're busy, busy doing things. But they don't have eyes for him only. They, they have their eyes on the people around them. Maybe they're looking for praise from people around them, kudos from people. Or maybe they're looking to just promote themselves. Maybe they want stuff. I don't know, whatever it is. I, I do know that we can all be tempted that way. But Christian people who are on a, a mission to advance the gospel must be properly motivated by love for Christ and, and love for others as well. That's what motivated Paul. That's what motivated some of these preachers that he talks about. And it's what ought to be motivating us as well. If we're motivate, motivated by love, then, then we can press in to the mission of advancing the gospel. Even when we experience hard times, we can continue on the road of the Christian life, even when things are, are, are difficult. Now, I don't know it, but I've got a pretty good notion that these self-absorbed preachers of the gospel, I bet... When things got tough, they fell away. Because we, we will not continue on our mission to advance the gospel if we are not motivated by love. If we're not motivated by what our Savior Jesus has done for us. We advance the gospel when we trust God in difficulty. We advance the gospel when we serve other people motivated by love. And we advance the gospel when we proclaim Christ with boldness. Well, you can see easily what Paul is excited about here in verse 18. I love this little phrase, what then? He's, he's said some stuff, you know, about what different people are doing, what's going on. And he's like, so what? Here's what. I'm full of joy because... In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And so I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He's very excited. He's not alone, of course. As we said, there were others who were preaching well. They were confident. They were motivated by goodwill and by love. We learn at the end of verse 14 that they were boldly speaking the word and they were speaking it without fear they were ready to declare christ no matter what it cost ferguson again 
they were willing to speak for Christ, whatever the consequences might be. If personal deprivation and imprisonment led to fruitful witness for Paul, then they could trust the Lord to work the same way in their own lives. They saw this truth and they were ready to be bold for Christ. Really, that word bold in verse 14, I looked it up in a Greek dictionary, could be translated probably better if it were daring. You you can see the relationship between the the two words. But I like daring. These, These are people who were willing to take a dare for Christ, willing to take a risk for Jesus Christ and for the gospel. They, they wanted to preach the message of eternal salvation. That God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. They wanted to take that message out onto the streets. And into their businesses. And into their homes. And into the prisons. And wherever it was that God would lead them. They were going to share it. They, they seemed to have at this point no fear well they didn't seem to the scripture says they did it without fear maybe they had in their minds the words of Jesus to his disciples in Luke 12 Jesus said I will tell you my friends do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do I've always loved that verse I need to pray that the Lord would help me live by it. But it's saying, all they can do is kill you. That's what Jesus says. I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed you, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. The English reformer Hugh Latimer preached on one occasion before King Henry VIII. And apparently in his sermon, he said something that offended the king. And he was, it was communicated to him in no uncertain terms that the next time the king was in church, he would need to apologize. Something like that would never happen in America, I know, but that happened then. And so the king came into the church the next Sunday and Latimer began his sermon uh, really just talking to himself. He he said to himself at the beginning of the sermon something something like this. Hugh Latimer, do you know to whom you are supposed to speak this day? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, the one who has power over your life and who can take it away. So take heed, Hugh Latimer, what it is that you say today. Do not offend. However, Hugh Latimer, do you remember also who it was who sent you here? The high and mighty creator of the world, the king of all creation, the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who has the power to cast your very soul into hell. Therefore, make sure that you declare his message faithfully. And then reportedly, Latimer went on to preach the exact same sermon that he had preached the Sunday before. 
although apparently with more energy and gusto. Now, Latimer's story is great. It's, it's really convicting because he's so brave. But it's also convicting to me because Latimer really was talking to somebody who could take his life. He really was. In fact, he lost his life for the gospel. Not that much farther down the road. He, he died for the gospel. And it's convicting for me and maybe, maybe for you because I think sometimes we hesitate to share Christ. Not because we might lose our life, but because we think maybe the person we're talking to isn't going to like us. That doesn't really preach, you know. I, I, don't, I don't see people some years from now using that as a sermon illustration anywhere. We worry about people not liking us. We don't want things to be awkward. We, we live in a time where people are terrified of being awkward. But God is calling us to proclaim Christ with boldness. So just a few things to consider here. One, one, one is that, you know, if, if Christ approves of what we're saying, it doesn't really matter if the people approve. Or if he approves of what we're doing, it doesn't matter if the people approve. Now, we don't, we don't want to go around being rude and, and just nasty to people. I think we should be winsome and try to, try to really draw people to the love and grace and mercy of our Savior. Paul did that. We should do that. But clearly, if God approves, it shouldn't matter whether other people like it. Secondly, you know, I think it's the devil's lie anyway that people aren't going to like us if we share Christ with them. I mean, maybe some won't, but we live in a needy world. People are hungry for grace and gospel, and they, they, we have a message that they need to hear, and though they don't know it, they want to hear it. And so we shouldn't give in to this lie of the devil that people are going to dislike it if we're sharing the gospel boldly. And then finally, you know, as Jesus said in Luke 12, and as Paul says later in this letter, if we die, it's gain. Our, our home is in heaven. We have a treasure in heaven. We, we ought to be ready and willing to take a dare and take a risk and tell someone about Jesus. That's our mission. Our mission is to advance the gospel. So we can advance the gospel in hard times, in suffering, we can advance the gospel because we're motivated by love, motivated to serve others by love for Christ and love for them. We can advance the gospel and proclaim it boldly to a needy world. It should be our joy to do this. Like Paul in verse 18, what then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this good word that you have given us in Philippians chapter 1. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering and hurting for a variety of reasons this morning, that you would help them to have, maybe if this blesses them, a change of thinking and to see that as an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would protect us from the temptation to be motivated by the applause of others. 
And help us, Lord God, instead to be motivated by the love of Christ. And I pray, Father God, that you would help each one of us, every man, woman, and child here, to be bold in proclaiming Christ to our needy world. Help us to fulfill this mission of advancing the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.